Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factum Agri, Phil Orm from Orm & Associates joins me. This company works with many farmers across New Zealand and has an interest in assisting farmers through ETS and tree planting programs. I'm keen to get his thoughts on afforestation and if the current pace is where this country needs to be going. Phil joins me now. Hello Phil, thank you for joining me today. No worries Angus, always a pleasure. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Uh, all my associates, we basically travel the country talking to farmers, landowners about the emissions trading scheme and how carbon within their farming systems can offer an opportunity for them. So it's not necessarily all about pine trees. Mm. There's a lot of reversion, soil conservation plantings, and they all qualify and can contribute significant amounts, but a lot of a lot of farmers don't actually understand the system and... and um, and the opportunity that's that's sitting there. So that's pretty much what we do. We don't we don't have logging crews, we don't have planning crews, but we can tell the guys how they're going to get ripped off with them. Mm. Now, afforestation in this country is a big issue for New Zealand farmers and rural communities currently. Are the current ETS settings right in your view, which is, of course, allowing significant amounts of good farmland, in my view, to be converted into carbon forestry. Can you explain a bit about the current settings? Well, the settings haven't really changed. The emissions trading scheme basically allocates carbon for land that wasn't forest land that's been turned into forest land. Um, One of the things that happened two years ago when carbon was only around $20, there wasn't as much of an issue. But how it works now is if you turn farmland effectively into into a tree species and it meets the criteria, you can be allocated carbon going forward. Um, and to a certain extent, if there's no constraints within the regional district plans, um, you only have to meet the National Environmental Standards for Production Forestry if you're planting production forest. Mm. Unfortunately, if it's for carbon only, you don't even have to follow those rules. So that's I think that's the major issue. It's not so much the ETS settings. It's... It, the guidelines around allowing major land use change without having informed discussion, because there are there mm. is a lot of land on farms that should be in trees, but is a whole farm conversion the right thing to do? Maybe it is, but at least have the decision, have the discussion. Sure. If you could make any changes, what changes would you make to the emissions trading scheme? Maybe you wouldn't make any at all. Well, the emissions trading scheme, no, but um, because that's kind of set in place. But the changes would be around how much and what sort of land could get planted, I think, from a personal point of view. Once you change food producing land into trees, with the current with the current price of carbon, it's going to be very hard to change it back again without significant hardship. So if there was going to be a there was discussion about it, excluding exotics from uh, the permanent forest category, but that's doing that would impact on 90% of the landowners that need 10 or 20 or 30 hectares on their properties that deserves to be in trees in the permanent category. So 
if there was going to be some form of change, then maybe maybe set a percentage limit on how much land on a farm could go in, or or make it a hundred hectares before you have to have a, a discussion. So that's where I said you've got to keep you've got to keep the opportunity for the farmers who know their land best, mm. what they want to do on their property to keep them viable. Because everybody talks about full farm conversions losing a family out of the district. But if you lose four or five small farms that aren't allowed to put, say, 50 hectares of bad farming land into a permanent forest under with exotics, then you could lose five or six families out of community. So that's, that's where I see the settings probably possibly need to be tightened. But mm-hmm. you know, if you include if you include carbon as a commercial product, then all those carbon farming operations come under the NESPF and and have to have the discussion. Mm. It does seem to me, though, that in many cases, carbon farming or lock up and walk away forests essentially is what we're talking about here. Is short term sighted. It's a it's a quick dollar, and I get that, but. I'm just not convinced that that's the right long-term strategy. Firstly, it doesn't allow big emitters to make real change. It just allows them to dump their pollution on the land. Of course, that's my view. Do you think that's short-sighted? And do you think that's the right path for New Zealand? I don't think it's. I don't think it's necessarily the right path. Planting trees is not going to solve the climate crisis. Only changing behaviours going to change the climate crisis. So this it is a short-term measure to to get a step up, but um, long term, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right um, from a personal point of view. But at the end of the day, um, if you, our client base is largely farmers, people that have a, a huge affinity with their land, and and people that are still farming should be allowed to choose what they do on their own properties. So I think the real issue is these major full farm conversions where not enough thoughts been given to the long-term impact. Mm. And so I'd, I'd agree with you, Angus. Mm. And, of course, a mixed farming model, again, in my view, is a good pathway. And, of course, trees, and particularly exotic trees, certainly do play a part in that, of course, don't they? Oh, they can They can play a huge part because they're, they're quick to establish um, and start creating carbon. Um, but, effectively, if a landowner decides to plant five hectares, he's, he's going to lose production capability from his farming system for three or four years before any carbon, meaningful carbon, is going to be generated on site to help offset the cost. So it's not necessarily a quick fix. Um, mm. The government came out, of course, uh, recently with a response to He Wen's proposal. What did you make of their response? Oh, it's always interesting when politics gets in the road of logic, I suppose. Um, so mm. I'm lucky. I, I see a lot of farmers, and there's people out there doing some really good stuff, especially around riparian areas that cost a lot of money, generate a lot of good for the environment. But um, with the government rejecting areas under a hectare in size that don't meet the ETS definitions, that sort of is that the right signal that's being sent? You know, so. Mm. Still well, a lot of work to do in that space. Yeah. I guess one of the, the beer bugs that I have, and I have a few, but one of them is around the recognition of total on-farm sequestration. No matter what size 
the tree lot is or the type of vegetation combined on a property that can actually provide a significant sequestration opportunity for farmers, but it's simply not recognised. Yeah, no, exactly. And and the issue becomes you you look at a lot of farms around the country and you've got 30, 20 or 30 poplars holding a, a hill in place there and another 20 or 30 mm. hundred metres down the road. And if they were all in, if they were in the one place, that could conceivably meet the ETS definition and would count. But yeah, quite. Mm. Not, they're not holding hands as such. Um, they've done the good work, but they're not getting the recognition. And yeah. if you think that you know, up to say 50, 60 poplar poles would meet across a hectare at the right spacing would meet the definition. Some farms have hundreds of poles spread, spread out for shade and shelter and holding the hills in place. So conceivably, if you added those up, there's a significant amount of carbon getting sequestered around the place. Mm. I think farmers really just want a fair crack of the whip, don't they? You know, in order to arrive at a true net on-farm emission, you have to calculate total on-farm sequestration. That's simple math to me. And of course, there are many tools that exist out there that easily can calculate total on-farm sequestration, no matter what the vegetation or tree type is. Yeah, you're you're correct. And, And they deserve to have some recognition, not only for what they're planting, but but a lot of the indigenous vegetation that they've saved have decided off their own bat that they don't want to convert it into grass and haven't done for the last generation or two. And and now that's not getting recognised. Uh, mm. So that's, that's a shame. That is sending the wrong message. Well, that sends yeah. a message in that if it doesn't qualify for the ETS and we're not going to give you anything for it, if your district or regional plan allows it, cut it down and turn it into grass. And nobody wants to see that, least of all the landowners. They know what's best for their farm and what's best for their land, but they're not getting the recognition. Yeah, they're not getting the recognition. It's a it's a total slap in the face, and it's fundamentally wrong in my view. Bill, is New Zealand's red meat sector, and indeed the dairy sector, at risk in this country? I think there's, there's two different parts of that. I think the red meat sector is under a lot of pressure, a huge amount of pressure, the compliance, Fertiliser costs in the last 12 months are going to have a huge impact alone on how a lot of these farming systems operate and then what they can produce out the other end. Um, And it's all about food supply. Everybody says that we need to double our food supply in the world in the next 20, 30 years. But, um, and here we are, New Zealand farmers probably being the most uh, carbon efficient in the world. And if some of our boys go out of, and ladies go out of business, then our overseas food producing countries that don't really care about the environment as much as the uh, people on the land, they're going to step up and fill that gap. So are we really going to win anything? Mm-hmm. It's a shame that these things are being politicised as opposed to actually looking at the reality of the situation. It seems to me that artificial lines have been drawn on, drawn in the sand uh, through various agreements internationally and treaties signed, but we are certainly not getting the recognition in this country that the farmers deserve. You know, I mean, we are a food producing nation. It scares me to think that that's at risk. When I think of all the work that's gone into the industry, it's at the moment our biggest earner. And do we really, really want to put that at risk for the sake of some sort of international point scoring? It is a worry, and I'm concerned, Phil. Yeah, and, and I'm concerned about how it's affecting the, the businesses. I suppose one of the issues is we're you know, 12 months out from the election, so 
how much is it how much of the rhetoric out there in the political circles is about retaining the jobs next year and and potentially trying to pit the urban and rural community against the rural community again when everybody wants the world to be a better place our new zealand farmers are doing a bloody good job of it um unfortunately you know there's people put different spins on things to uh, maybe achieve a different result come election time. Who knows? Mm. Look, Phil, um, I really appreciate your time today. No worries, Angus. It's, um, it's, it's important out there. There's guys doing some really good stuff and they should be recognised, but then there's people that uh, just look at that right-hand side of the spreadsheet, and I think that's what's kind of confusing the whole ETS system at the moment. The nuts and bolts of the of the farming community require to access to that to to stay afloat effectively, and that's my concern. Is if the settings change in the for the wrong reasons in the wrong places, then um, our farmers are going to be at risk, and so that's a big concern. This country has an opportunity to provide a framework for our farmers to continue on a path that further develops what is already the most sustainable food producing system in the world. That's right, New Zealand is already in the top tier, maybe even standing out on its own in terms of how food is produced. We are a food producing nation. That is what this country does best. And our primary industry is New Zealand's biggest earner currently. Sure, we could ramp up tourism again with countless jets emitting extraordinary amounts of pollution to get these tourists here. Did you know that emissions of global aviation are around 1 billion tonnes of CO2 per year? More than the emissions of most countries. This includes a large country such as Germany. That's extraordinary. With afforestation in its current form and pace, the irony is that a tourist arriving on a jet burner descending from 40,000 feet over this country in 50 years' time will see pine trees as far as the eye can see. A monoculture vision of standing pollution caused by allowing big emitters like the aircraft this tourist will be on to plant the eyesore that they see below. The average tourist will rightly be perplexed. They will go home and laugh at this country and how we let the world dump pollution on their farmland at the expense of food production and rural communities. By the way, if we decrease our food production in this country by, say, 15 or 20%, do you think there will be 20% less food produced globally? No. Food is an ever-increasing global need. What happens is that gap gets filled by another nation who does not produce food as sustainably as we do. And therefore, that 20% increase in production will have a higher footprint than the same food produced here by New Zealand farmers. So what is this all about? Why are policymakers currently putting up roadblocks and making things harder for farmers and importantly, the economy and rural communities? I've been working with Hiwen for the past couple of years and I was very clear at the start that I did not want or support an emissions tax for farmers. However, the government did say that from 2025 they already have legislation in place to price emissions through the ETS. So Hiwen is a farmer and industry-led group along with Iwi and the government to find a better solution for farmers. 
it's important to remember that government agencies are part of HEWEN and were part of, part of the decision-making process on the pricing options that were delivered. Now the government response has made significant changes. One of the biggest for me is the absence of total on-farm sequestration. And I've been quite vocal on this for quite some time. And simply put, if we don't measure total on-farm sequestration, which includes all vegetation and trees, both native and exotic, and no matter the size of the individual plantation area, well, if we exclude these things, then there is no net on-farm emissions because a large percentage of the equation is missing. It's that simple. Policymakers are currently in la-la land, in my view, and farmers, you should not lie down and take this. Have your say. Submissions are open until November 18. There will be more on this in coming weeks. Well, that's all from me this week. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time.